This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers and 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection Bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. Podcast. We are back. Episode six of our second season here on the show. And uh, Dennis Bernstein, welcome in. What's happening? Oh, good, Jay. We finally started the season. Let's get to it. Uh, well, you know, we waited around for 10 months and then training camp was quickly put together. And uh, yeah, we're a couple games into the season now. I'm sure we'll get into all of that. We do have a special guest lined up for today. And it's timely. With the with the Kings playing the Colorado Avalanche, we're going to bring in a former player. He, he uh, put the sweater on for both teams, in addition to a number of other teams, including the Ducks and whatnot. But uh, Warren Reichel, a former fan favorite here in Los Angeles, he's going to join us during the second period. But before we get to all that, DB, the, uh, the show today is coming to you live from, of course, beautiful Southern California, the Brady Murray Studios here in SoCal. Does that name mean anything to you, Dennis? It certainly does. I believe he's a, uh, a Kings draft trust who played a few games for the LA Kings. Well, more than that, yes, that is all true. He also is the son, of course, of uh, former Andy L.A. Murray. coach Andy Murray. Uh, Brady Murray was taken by the L.A. Kings in the fifth round back at the 2003 NHL draft, and he actually uh, he snuck into a couple of games in Los Angeles. So he played 58 games with Manchester, who uh, they were the Kings' AHL team at the time. He played four games for the L.A. Kings, including scoring one goal back in the 2007 and eight season. Uh, he played at the University of North Dakota, his college hockey, and then uh, spent the majority of his career over in the Swiss League, which is interesting. Uh, but the reason that he was sort of in the back of my mind is that uh, Andy Murray is still coaching in college hockey. And uh, the the uh, I just on Mondays, I put out the college hockey rankings. And, and I was just, uh, for some reason, thinking about Andy Murray the other day. And then that led me to the Brady Murray. And, you know, it just... Once you start thinking about things sometimes, Dennis, you end up in these weird rabbit holes that you go down uh, online. Yes, exactly. You start connecting dots, and the dots take you all the way down the hole. They do. They do. And the next thing you know, you're looking up some guy who played four games in the NHL, uh, and that was Brady Murray. So, Where's that? Andy's at Western Michigan. Right? Western Michigan. Exactly. Look at you. And that's why it it, it, uh, it popped up and sort of I was thinking about it is Western Michigan beat North Dakota this week, and it was a real bummer for North Dakota because North Dakota has been – they've probably played better competition, uh, some would say, than Minnesota has this year. Uh, North Dakota's in a really tough conference, but Minnesota has been the number one ranked team for quite some time, right. and then they lost. They split a series with uh, Wisconsin a, a couple weekends ago, and then uh, Minnesota was 
defeated back-to-back games by unranked Notre Dame. And then North Dakota was probably sitting there thinking, oh, great, this is our chance. We're finally going to, you know, take over the number one spot on Monday morning, but yet they had to play a game on Sunday night and they lost to Western Michigan. And so I kind of got a chuckle out of that. Uh, sorry uh, to everybody uh, there with North Dakota and Matt Green, you know, please don't uh, don't be too upset about that. But yeah, so uh, they ended up not getting the number one spot, North Dakota, that is. They're still one of the, the premier schools, uh, you know, and programs in the country year after year. Just a great place so db let's just get right into it here uh before we bring in our guest in the second period warren reichel uh king's avalanche uh you know last night the kings did lose that game in regulation at least it wasn't an overtime loss it would have been nice to push that game to regulation i'm i'm sure i'm sorry to uh push it to overtime if you're if you're todd mcclellan and maybe pick up a point but why don't we do a quick recap db uh we haven't done a podcast since the first two game set against minnesota Maybe it's something that you want to erase from your mind, but but any takeaways, any things that uh, you know still are sticking with you a couple of days now removed from that two game series against the Wild? Uh, yeah, you can't blow three one leads in the third period. Uh, Kaprizov's going to be a star. Tough uh, so look, Dowdy and Mata, they really need to get their act together. And all the talk, they know each other from London and everything. It's been very, very challenging for this team. Um, you score three goals at home. You have two goal leads in the third period. You should win the games. Mm-hmm. As simple as that. And some mistakes in the, in overtime cost them too. But if you're going to be positive, you can look at it as a series split, like one and one. If you were one and one, you'd still get two points out of that series. It's just tough to lose those games that way. Well, it's not a series split, though, from a points perspective because they're in the same division now, and so they only picked up two points uh, while the other team picked up four points. So, you know, if it yeah. – it, it, that's those two points. That's two point a two point difference in the standings that makes a really big difference, uh, or can potentially make a really big difference well, at the end of the year. If it comes down to to them and Minnesota, it would make a difference. If they're beating, if they're competing with San Jose or Arizona for a spot, and they've split their games, then maybe as as much. It, maybe it's less of a difference. Well, I think I think that the series, the eight game series with Minnesota, is going to make a huge difference in terms mm-hmm. of the Kings' playoff potential. We talked about that on the last podcast. Uh, but look, I think there are a couple of other things to come away with there. Um, I, and I said this on Twitter, but I know not everybody is on Twitter, which I still don't understand. But we can save that for a different day. Uh, I, I look, I think that the from an offensive perspective, you can nitpick the line combinations, and and you know people want to see uh, Leas Anderson in, who was able to get in. I was out there saying I wanted to see Grunstrom in. He played as well. But you can nitpick the line combinations uh, among the forwards all you want. At the end of the day, you just said it, to, uh, DB, and it's what Todd said after the game, games uh, against Minnesota, and that is, look, this is a team that's, you know, if, if we score three goals every night, this is Todd talking, um, you know, that should be enough to win most nights. We're not a team that's going to generate four goals, is what Todd said. So they, they were able to get three goals in both of those games. They need to be better defensively. Obviously, they need to stay out of the penalty box, but just back to the defensemen, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the dowdy Mata thing. You know, I, I said uh, on Twitter as well, I, I'd like to see Bjornfoot up there with, with Dowdy, and I think it might be time to rethink uh, how you get Oli Mata into the system, give him a little bit more time, break him in a little bit easier, maybe put him on the third pairing with a guy like Sean you Walker. Want him on the third pair, man. But Come here's on. the reason why I want him on the third pair. This is It, it really boils down to this, okay? If you assume that Dowdy should be on the top pair, and that's a whole other program, but if you assume that Dowdy's going to be on the top pair, and you're going to move Mata, you can't move him to the second pairing because you're not gonna, you're not breaking up Mikey Anderson and Matt Roy because that has, I won't even say arguably, that has been the top defensive pair for the LA Kings. So maybe what you want to do is you want to start thinking of Anderson and Roy as the top pair, and then you want to start to go, okay, well, now we're going to slot Dowdy in on the second pair, and who's he going to be with, and he's not going to be with Mata. And that's how Mata ends up on the third pair. But let's be honest, oh, wait Dennis. Wait a minute, John. Oh, go ahead. Why don't I put Anderson up with, with Drew? He's a calming effect. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He hasn't okay. made the mistakes in the games that Mata has. So why not just promote him? You can. You can't. That is an option. That is an option. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to the option. It, it's okay. The only thing that I don't like about it is that the the second pairing, the, the Anderson-Roy pairing, has been your best pair. And when you're looking to try to fix other things, I wouldn't try to break the one thing that is working. Right. I mean, I understand the logic. Everything you just said yeah, makes logical sense. Yeah. And and I'm not going to, you know, it's not a hill that I'm willing to die on because it's not the end of the world if they moved Mikey Anderson to the top pairing. Uh, but 
I just think you if it was- You raise a glass for that. Come on, stop it. <laughs> I'm just saying if it was me, if I was the coach, that wouldn't be my first move. I would keep that one in my back pocket, right? I would say, okay, look, for the first move, I would try to keep that pair together and then I would, I would try to fix the top pairing. So I would move Mata and, um, you know, yeah, he ends up on the third pair, but I don't really necessarily look at it as a demotion as much as, hey, look, we're just trying to get these three pairings figured out. Winning solves everything, Dennis. If, 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 you, if you re-slot everybody and the team starts winning, you know, is Ole Mata crying because he's, he's on the third pair? No, no. Well, then. But John, here's the other thing. This, this team, they, they just don't shoot well. They shot 6% five-on-five last year. This year, it's 6.3%. The league average is 7.6%. There's not a lot of high-danger chances, so they have to really capitalize on all their opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I know you haven't been pleased, especially last night with the top three. That bottom nine, it's just, to me, it's just, I know you picked them to be close to the postseason. I, I just don't, they have to have a major turnaround offensively as well, because I just, I know that there's some players hurt and he's experimenting and they've been off for 10 months. And I think the penalties, John, you know, you talk about rust on a team and you think about physical rust. Guys haven't been out there. But the decision-making in the first three games, John, like that's mental rust. Mm-hmm. Like you got guys making mistakes here and taking penalties they should never be taking. I think part of the reason is they've been off the ice for 10 months. I think you're absolutely right. I think the penalties have to come under control. I think it's easy to say this team is not a playoff team when you look at what they've done over the last three games, but I'm also not willing to push the panic button just yet or to go into no. plan B just Agreed. yet. It's three games. I think if they if they were able to win one of those games against Minnesota, this is a totally different situation. Uh, the fan base wouldn't be up in arms. Uh, I, I don't judge this team against how they do against the Colorado Avalanche in terms of a measuring stick of their season. I think it's a measuring stick in terms of where they are overall, right uh, now, you know, right. as of this moment. But uh, I, I come back to what I've said. And, and, you know, again, we talked about it on the last podcast. I think it's more about how they play against those other five teams. It's not about how they right. play against Vegas, Colorado and St. Louis. This is not a newsflash, but I'll say it. This team is not in, this LA Kings team is not in the same class right now today uh, as the top three teams. So I'm not as concerned about how they play against Vegas, Colorado, and St. Louis. How do they play against the San Jose Sharks? How do they play against the Minnesota Wild? How do they play against Anaheim and Arizona? To me, that's the more pressing or are the more pressing questions because that is a a, a better indicator in terms of real-time evaluation of how they are. So get the penalties under control. Learn to hold a lead. Close a game out. And you know what? Again, Dennis, if you want to say half full, let's talk half full. The team came out and responded in the third period, right? The team the team actually came out and responded 10 minutes into the first period. A rough start, early goal, five minutes into the game, but they were much, much better in the second half of the first period and then kind of stabilizing in the second before uh, coming on in the third period. Is that a fair assessment in your mind? That's fair. Um they haven't put together a complete 60 minutes yet. Now, and, and, John, so using your theory, those games next week against Minnesota, vitally important. Like, that's they're, they're not making their season, but using what you're saying, because, look, the next three games are going to be tough. You're going to play Colorado again and then go on the road to play St. Louis. So mm-hmm. the, the games that you look at are, like, are, if they're going to be in the mix, they've got to get at least a split out of the Minnesota games. We're jumping ahead. But, yeah, I think that's fair. Last night, it was a competitive game. Look. Nate McKinnon had two shots five on five. They were not dominated. Mm-hmm. Stre- they had 24 shots. I think Minnesota, uh, Colorado had 17 shots five on five. They weren't dominated. They got hurt on special teams, and that's how you lose games, right? That, that's exactly the blueprint. How they held them. They outshot them five on five. So were they doing things properly structurally? Yes. It's just last night you just can't go in the box against that team five times. You want to pain, and they're on the wrong end of the, the score. Okay, so people do want to talk about the forwards. I tried to gloss over it earlier, jump ahead or put a pin in it, whatever you want to say, and talk about the defensive side first because I think that's something they need to shore up, the penalties and the defensive pairings. But if you want to talk about the forwards, to build on something that you said earlier, Dennis, it's starting to feel like that... Uh, let's put it this way. Todd came into the season. He was on the program. He was here on Kings of the Podcast. He talked about it the week before training camp, and he mentioned it several times on the media Zoom calls during training camp. He said, look, let's keep the lines together and breed as much familiarity as possible, especially because the lack of the, uh, the no, uh, no exhibition games, no preseason, right? Sure. That made sense. I totally bought into the logic. Now that the Kings are three games into it, I'm sort of over that, and here's why. 
what I'm seeing it, uh, would be some the forwards that are familiar with playing with each other. They seem to be more content in in thinking more like Daryl Sutter is still coaching the team. They're very defensive minded. They're into the this you know anything they can do defensively, but they're not being creative enough offensively. And I think that's why you're seeing a line like the Carter Lazat Anthonyio line. Uh, being more productive. You're seeing some juice. You're seeing some punch. And then you look at Leas Anderson. Finally, he gets into the game last night. You know, Michael Amadio sits out. You see Leas Anderson. You see how creative he is being. I think that's what this team needs right now. So although they did produce those three goals, and, and I know some people say, well, John, you're talking that of both sides of your mouth, and I don't mean to. I'm saying if you left the lines together, they were creating the offense. They were getting their three goals in the Minnesota series. Okay, fine. But if you really want to start to look ahead, it is vital that this team gets some more offense created uh, out of out of that, and maybe it's it's the shooting percentage, maybe it's the high danger choice, you know, uh, chances. It's all of these different things, um, but th you're starting to see that with some of these other guys, and uh, I, so I think it is time to mix those lines up. And unfortunately, we are recording this, Dennis, on uh, on Wednesday or whatever day of the week it is <laughs> on Wednesday morning. Uh, practice doesn't start until later today, so we don't know at the time of recording what uh, McClellan's going to do with the lines. But I am more open now to moving some things around than perhaps I would have been coming into the season because I did I did agree with Todd's logic coming in for game one. Well, here's the issue, though, this, and this is why I've seen old struggle offensively all year. So Todd wants to make a change on the top line. It's not being productive. You said it was not a good effort by the guys. But when you swap out your winger on your right wing and you put a fourth liner and Trevor Moore on the top line and you don't have a better option, like that to me is why this team's going to struggle all year. Hold on, they hold on, hold on. That, that is, in my mind, that is sending a message. So it... Trevor Moore to the top line is not McClellan's solution. Or if it is, we need to really have a long talk with Todd and figure out what's going on. Uh, I don't think that's a solution as much as that is a message being sent. And in my opinion, Todd said it in, in the, in the uh, post-game presser last night. He said that line needed some jump. That's why he put Trevor Moore up there. I would be shocked if the next game Trevor Moore is on the Kopitar line. And I'm going to go as far as to say, if Trevor Moore is on the Kopitar line, that I'm not sure the Kopitar line is the top line. If that's, And I think that would be even more of a message. My point is, you don't have a better option. He does. Who? Sure he does. Kempe is Ooh. a better option than Trevor Moore. Uh, He's not a right winger. Okay. Okay. You don't have to move Brown off that line. You you can you can um, you can move Brown over to the left side if you need to, and you can uh, if you wanted to put a right winger there. But if you keep Brown on the right side, you can put a left winger over there. He has options. He has Grundstrom as an option. He has Leas Anderson as an option. He has options. And again, without breaking up the Carter Lazat, Anthony Seo line, he has options. Those aren't options. Those are like bottom six players you're promoting to the top line. That's my point. Well, they're, they're better options than Trevor Moore. Wings. No, they're not they're the not Colorado the Avalanche. On this team. That's okay. the problem. Okay, they're not the Colorado Avalanche. They're not deep. They're not yes. the Washington Capitals. They're not the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's not where they are in their in the process right now, but that's not where they're supposed to be either. That's not where they are. Is this you okay. setting everything up to say that they should promote Kaliev and Byfield to the NHL today? Is that where you're going with all this? Well, John, eventually those two players need to play a game. Okay, Dennis, eventually they will play a game, first of when? all. <laughs> March? Okay. Hold on. When you say play a game, okay. just so we're all clear, are you saying they need to play a game, as in they can play in the American League, or they need to play a game in the National Hockey League? Anywhere. Okay. They're look, legitimately, look, the World Juniors, what do they play? Like competitive games, not where they were blowing teams out 27 to nothing. They play, what, like three games that were competitive? So they've played, since March, three legit competitive games. Okay. So, no, I'm not – I'm, I'm – I'm tweaking you a little bit here, John. So no, like they need to play right somewhere, somehow, someplace they need to play. They do, but the they're not action? ready for the national hockey league right now. So let's pump the, pump the brakes on that. You want to talk about when they're going to play. Okay. Here's when they're going to play. They were supposed to play last weekend. Two games against the San Diego goals were canceled. I wrote a big article about this, why the AHL preseason is so important. And you know what? I'll even tell you, I had a couple of coaches, if you don't mind, I had a couple of coaches and scouts who oh, texted please. me and said that I was bang on with that article that they thought that the, the first 10 games that the rain play preseason and non preseason, uh, you know, regular season and preseason, excuse me, the first 10 games, the rain play are more important 
than the first 10 games that the LA Kings play. So I, I was, I, I felt right. vindicated, yes. uh, but here's Agreed. the deal. Agreed so the first two games, play. they do, let's you're let's go. So the first two games against the San Diego goals, they were postponed uh, due to some uh, issues related to the goals. And so now the rain have currently four games on the books, the 22nd, uh, coming up against San Jose, and then they play the 24th and the 25th also against Tucson, and then they play the 30th against Bakersfield. And I mentioned this on Twitter the other day. From what I understand, uh, Rain GM Richard Seeley is working behind the scenes to try to get those two games against San Diego rescheduled or to get some ad additional games scheduled against some other teams. In other words, they want to play as many games as possible, as soon as possible. Uh, so look for the rain to start playing. And uh, DB, while we're on it here, really quickly, uh, let me let me pull this up. I didn't have it handy, but uh, I'm going to, and I'm just going to... Byfield and Kelly are going to play. No, they're not going to be scratches out of those games. Though. I mean, they're going to play, right? No, listen. Listen to the lineup, okay? Listen to the lineup. This was the projected lineup. I don't think anything will change this week. Top line... Top line, you had Madden, Byfield, Kaliev. Second line, you had Isimont with Akil Thomas and Dudas. And then you had Kapari and Fagamo playing on the third line. Yeah, these kids are going to play. Uh, they're going to play. They're going to play a lot of minutes. The King staff is going to look at them. They're going to evaluate them. And, uh, I, hey, you want excitement? Let, get Arthur Kelly of some games in the American League. Get him going, and then possibly let's uh, let's take a, an opportunity to see him at the National Hockey League level. Quentin Byfield, I don't think he's quite ready for the NHL yet. Okay, you could have played them in these games and then sent them down, but okay. <laughs> why? Why would you play them against the Colorado Avalanche? Why? Why not? Okay. Why? Why is Tim Stutzler playing against the Toronto? Oh Rangers? God! I, I, you know what? I think I found all of your Twitter burner accounts. You must be the guy that keeps no. tweeting me all the time. No. About <laughs> John, my point is they're not playing. They're the, sitting there gathering dust. They're, oh my God! It's not their fault. It's not the organization's <laughs> fault. But you could have got them in games. These are the wrong games to get them into. Be patient. Okay. Just chill out. Okay, so after they play these games on the 22nd and the 24th, are, are you going to be okay? You're going to be happy that they're going to be okay in games? I'm okay now. I'm okay now because you're sweating over there. It's great. I'm not sweating. I'm fine. I'm play, the guy, play them. Get them in a game. I don't care. Okay. Uh, play them okay. somewhere. Look, the Colorado Avalanche have a taxi squad in town. Let's get the Colorado taxi squad and the L.A. taxi squad okay. together and just play like a shirts and skins game against the rain. Get like like a, a like a scrimmage. It wouldn't even be a preseason game. Just get a scrimmage yeah, going. Get them to play. Okay. Fair enough. Sidebar, John. Uh, shout out to Earl Skakel because Boko Mama was um, recalled and now in the taxi squad. So. Yes, he was he overjoyed with that uh, transaction. Yeah, of course, of course he was. Um, how about this as well? This is fantastic, DB. And then maybe we'll go to break here. Uh, Ryan Kennedy uh, tweeted this out earlier today. He said, "Here's a fun one. Chipotle has unveiled a Trevor Zegras MVP bowl in honor of the American World Junior Hero. It has brown rice, chicken, chili corn salsa, cheese, and guacamole." So we're going to need to get a hold of Turcotte. We're going to find out if he yep. is eating the Trevor Zegras MVP bowl. Uh, we can also get a hold of Brock Faber, who, of course, told us that he is a big Chipotle guy, although he likes, if I remember correctly, that, that vinaigrette sauce, uh, which I still have yes. not tried yet. So I don't know where this is available. We'll have to download the Chipotle app and see how this whole thing works. Uh, maybe you just walk into your local Chipotle and tell them you want the Trevor Zegras MVP bowl. But I think that's outstanding. Uh, and, you know, um, this is I, the if, last it's true, yeah. if it's true, I mean, you know, I don't think that he's really like one of those guys with a lot of snark on, on Twitter. So I'm assuming that this yeah. is true. And there wasn't even a winky face emoji or anything at the end of this. So I, I'm assuming it's all it's all true. So uh, there you go. Chipotle is getting a little free advertising out of us. Head to your local Chipotle and pick up the Trevor Zegras MVP bowl. And by the way, if you haven't already seen enough Trevor Zegras and you want more, the San Diego Gulls are streaming their exhibition games. They are now back and they're playing. And uh, you can catch Zegras and all of the Ducks prospects, and their prospect pool is rather exciting as well. So uh, you can check that out, and hopefully the Kings you know, John, will... John, uh, yeah. now that I think about it, maybe it's a conspiracy theory to keep Ky uh, Kelly from Byfield from playing, and that's why they, they cancel those two games. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that's it. <laughs> yes, it's it's all part of Rob Blake's master plan. They just they want to keep them... What was your comment? They're collecting dust as long as possible. They're collecting dust. We'll be back after the break. Uh, we'll be talking with Warren Reichel about the Kings and the Avalanche and uh, maybe a little collecting dust as well.
Welcome back, second period. And look, we are excited here on Kings of the Podcast because we have brought in a lot of former Kings players and former uh, current prospects and things like that. But we haven't gone back as deep as we're about to. Warren Reichel, who played 400 NHL games, uh, but there's way more to his resume. He scored 13 points with the Kings in 23 playoff games back in 1993, including two game-winning goals. A lot of memories. Also won a Stanley Cup with Colorado in 1996. And uh, he went on to have a very successful career in the OHL as an executive, which we're going to get into and talk all about that. But uh, Warren, welcome to the program. Hey, John, Dennis, how are you guys? Well, we're doing outstanding. We're uh, we're looking forward to having you on. It's been a while since I've spoken with you, uh, but used to speak to you on the regular about all the Kings prospects they had in the Ontario League, and maybe we'll get into some of that. But uh, how have you been? I know we had to pull you off the golf course to do this interview today. You doing okay? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm actually just in Florida and uh, uh, playing a little golf, uh, relaxing a bit, but uh, I'm doing good. Obviously, uh, tough times with COVID-19, but it is what it is, and hopefully uh, we'll see Pat Arena soon and more travel and people doing what they used to doing. That's yeah. for sure. It's a... It's a very weird time right now, for sure, uh, with, with everything that's going on in the world. Let's maybe uh, harken back to some good times, back when you uh, were lacing up the skates and playing. And, and the reason we had you on here, of course, is because the Kings and the Avalanche are in the middle of, uh, of, of a two-game series here to sort of start the season. But I'm curious, your hockey cards say that you played for a number of different teams, including the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Blackhawks. Th- those are just kind of small cups of coffee in my mind. Your, your real break, of course, came with the Kings, and then later you won the Stanley Cup in Colorado. Uh, there's a couple seasons with Anaheim sandwiched in there. But my question is this. When you think back on your NHL career, is there one team that you most identify with? You know what I really want to say? It's pretty close between the two teams you mentioned. It's obviously L.A. You know, I really got my first chance there. Uh, you know, I played five years in Myers. I got my first chance with uh, uh, Barry Melrose and Nick Beverly. And, uh, you know, that was great, obviously, going to the finals. But uh, Colorado, same. You know, I played probably the two most games with those teams. And Colorado was outstanding, obviously, uh, winning a cup there, um, you know, they had never won a championship in the, in the city of Denver before, and we were fortunate enough to win that cup in 96 was special. But both special, uh, too close to call, but uh, both teams are very close to my heart, and I had a lot of fun, a lot of friends, and great memories. But uh, two great franchises, and uh, I was, I'm really happy to be part of both of them, that's for sure. I'm sure back in 1993, I think you and I have joked about this before, if somebody back then was to run their hand up and down the roster in 93 in Los Angeles, they probably would not have picked you out to become an OHL general manager, executive of the year, winning Memorial Cups, all the great stuff that you did. Uh, it just wasn't something that people probably were thinking about at the time. But you know what? When you look at that roster and you look at the people that are on that team or that were on that team that have gone on to uh, management roles, I mean, you look, Tony Granado at Wisconsin, Luke and Blake here in Los Los Angeles, Dave Taylor with the Blues, Brent Thompson uh, coached, you know, the East, an ECHL uh, championship. He's been an AHL coach for a number of years. Uh, Daryl Sador with the Wild, Charlie Huddy with Winnipeg, even Rob Stauber and Gary Shuchuk did some some college hockey coaching. I mean, the list just goes on and on. What was it about that particular team that you think has led to so much success in, in management roles? Well, first of all, I mean, you know, when you play with good guys, you read, and, and when you have experience in hockey, when you're around a long time, you really see what it takes. I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to speak for them, but for me, when, uh, you know, you're looking and, and you play that certain role as a, as a grinder, as a, as a tough guy, you really see what, how things work. And you, you play with the likes of great players, but, you know, obviously with uh, uh, the guys in L.A., Gretz, Robitaille, Blake, you know, great, great players, Dave Taylor. But then, you know, everywhere you go, I played with Sundin Gilmore, then I played with Kalani Kree. You see how things work. You see how management reacts, how they make trades, how they draft. But, uh, you know, uh, those guys were great guys, and they went to, we obviously went a long way together. But to stay in the game, that's what guys want to do and give back. And I think that's why you see such such an unbelievable uh, hockey right now. The young kids have so much skill, size, and the game's changed. And, uh, the skill levels outstanding. But these guys were all great people. They're all still in the game. Some guys still on benches, and uh, uh, they deserve to be. They're good people. They're good hockey people. 
Now, you know I love to ask you about all those players from that 93 team and word association and all sorts of yeah, fun great. stuff. You, yeah. you could pick any of those names. Just pick one. Give us a great story, a Tony Granato story, a Rob Blake story, you know, Brent Thompson. I don't care. Daryl Sador, Rob Stauber. Give, give us one good story from, from one of those guys. Okay, I don't know. I'm, let me just think here. There's a few. There's a few goodies, but uh, um, you know, there's too many. I don't know if I can go over them. But uh, I remember uh, oh, my my first year. I went on uh, I went on vacation at the end of the year with uh, Tony. It was with Tony and then uh, Wayne and then uh, Marty McSorley and all our, our wives came. And uh, my wife was pregnant at the time. We went to Hawaii, so I didn't know. Obviously. Uh, Went to Hawaii. I didn't make much money that first year, so went to Hawaii. I'm like, wow. Checked in this place. It was called the Grand Wiley. It was unbelievable. It was like, I got in a room and I looked at my room, my room key and my card, and it was twelve hundred bucks a night. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, what is happening here? Like, oh, my dad finds out I paid twelve hundred dollars in April. Tell you crazy. So we're we're there for about ten days. And I'm like, oh my God. So I had to call, I was calling Merrill Lynch, trying to get a credit increase on my visa, <laughs> trying to get money wired there. I'm like, frick, I can't even afford this shit. I can't afford to be in this, this hotel. That's just for the room, let alone the food, the booze, everything else. I'm like, what, what's going to happen here? So finally, I got a whole bunch of money together and I was like to check out at the, at the hotel. I went to check out. And uh, there was Mr. Reich, I'd like to check out a room uh, 412, please. So the guy gets on the computer and he's tapping. He's looking at me, he's hitting the keys. He's looking at me. And I'm like, you know, what's this guy doing? Like, you know, told him, let's get out of here. So I look and he goes, Mr. Reichel, Mr. Gretzky took care of the bill. Nice. So that was fun. That was a great story. I was, thank God he did. I had enough, <laughs> but that was really nice to take care of the bill. So, um, you know, I always, that was a fun time of my life, uh, but it really, really, crazy story when he took care of everything this guy was first class and he still is to this day but uh, phenomenal phenomenal time for me and I'm sure God he paid saved me probably 20 G's now, now look that's a great ending to the story but I want to go back to the beginning of the story I didn't want to interrupt you at the time but just think about that you're you you're you know you've been playing for years in the minors you get called up to the kings the whole thing is surreal anyway welcome to hollywood and ronald reagan's at the game the whole thing's nuts and then you're going to go on vacation yeah, yeah. i want to know how you even got the invite how did that happen when you're you're just kicking back one day and you get a phone call because well, i'm a good guy i'm a because i'm a i'm a good guy a good golfer and okay. yeah that was you know you wanted to uh bring me slaves perfect why not so Wayne just called you up and said, Hey, let's go on vacation. I'm bringing Tony. We're going on vacation. Come on. Well, yeah. Well, well, yeah, he does. He always includes people. He's very generous and he includes people. And yeah, he jumped on the plane. Uh, my wife and uh, jumped on the plane and uh, it, it was great. It was unbelievable. Perfect. Hey, Warren, let's uh, fast forward to today. I, I'm assuming that you watch NHL games. So, do you watch as a fan? Do you watch as a GM? Do you watch as a scout? How do you watch games today? I watch as all three. It's a great question. Um, right now, you know, I'm hoping to get back, catch on with an NHL team here uh, uh, soon um, when things get back to normal. But uh, I watch it differently. I watch individual players. Um, you know, I coached a bit last year in Barry, and I watch what teams do. Uh, but I like watching, obviously, as a guy, as a scout and the manager, watching the young players come in. Uh, they went through the mind, you know, came from college, came from juniors. Um, obviously, the young players, how they adapt. But obviously, the game's way faster now, and, and you got to have that speed and you got to have that hockey sense. Uh, and, but I look at the whole picture. I don't just look at one one aspect of the game. And, you know, once we come out with buddies, uh, I'm not looking at it as probably scouting. I'm looking at it more as a, a, le a leisure watch, that's for sure. But uh, to get back to your question, pretty much all three things. And uh, I watched guys, uh, you know, that went through in the Ontario League, especially that went through uh, our league into the pros, uh, much like, you know, guys on your club, you know, Gabe Lardy played for me and uh, uh, different players like that. Did you watch either of the cup runs in 2012 or 2014? Oh, for sure. I watched the other teams, all of that for sure. Um, great hockey teams, really heavy teams. Um, you know, I, I obviously I had Daryl Sutter. I played for Daryl Sutter in the minor leagues too. So uh, you know, I really was. Uh, uh, you know, he was a big part of my career. Obviously, 
Uh, he, he helped me a lot in the minors. Uh, Barry Morrow is really giving my chance. But uh, Daryl's a good guy, and I watched that. And you know, a lot of guys, just a huge, big, heavy hockey team, uh, timely scoring, and a lot of skill and great goaltending. So, yeah, I watched all that. I always watch every all the hockey I can, and uh, I think that'll uh, that'll 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 never change for sure. Speaking of Daryl Sutter, Sutter early on compared to the Sutter in 2012 and the Sutter that we saw here in L.A., I'm assuming that perhaps he was a little bit different. And, and one thing that Dean Lombardi would always talk about is that the real Daryl Sutter is not the guy that's there, I don't know, goofing off, whatever you want to call it, in, in, in the post-game scrums, you know, that, that the fans loved watching, that the media sometimes were get a little bit perturbed about. But that the man Daryl Sutter was a completely different man. What, what's your take on that? What do you remember about Daryl? He is for sure. I mean, uh, he was hard on us. I mean, back in the day, we played in Indianapolis with Chicago's farm team. You know, there's a great, great team there. He said one of the best minor league teams of all time. You know, we had uh, uh, Ryan McGill uh, was coach of Vegas, Jim Playfair, coach of Edmonton. You know, we had uh, Stapleton Eagles, Noonan, Bass, and um, Hastick was in that. Um, you know, really, really, really good hockey team. And, uh, he was really hard on us. He was uh, he was the only coach. He didn't have any assistants or anything, but he was hard on us, but it was good. But uh, you could see the light side of him off the ice. But I think Daryl really, uh, you know, when he was Mike Keenan, he took on a lot of Mike Keenan traits and he changed when he was in Chicago, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when he was assistant there. But uh, came on, changed, much like a lot of coaches have, he changed as, uh, as time went on. And uh, he's, a, he's a great person and a great family guy. And, I, I owe a lot to him. He's a great guy, but you know, I, I didn't play for him at the NHL level, so I didn't really see that. But uh, I knew talking to guys that played for him, he's very, very hard on guys, uh, which is understandable. But uh, you know, things are a lot different today now. So uh, he changed some too. So yeah, different now, different old, whole different animal now. These kids are all different. Uh, you know, they they come to the game, they they, they have the protein shake, they call their agent. Uh, you know, it's not a lot of camaraderie after games like we used to have. Uh, it's a whole different ball game now. So, uh, you know, times are different for sure. Sure. And we, and we all have to change and adapt, you know, to uh, the world we live in. If, heck, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that sometimes we have to roll with the punches uh, for sure. Look, after you were done as a player, your time in the Ontario Hockey League as an executive is really remarkable. And I think people here in L.A. need to understand your status in the OHL. At the time that you did it, you were only one of three general managers to ever put three Memorial Cup championships together. Um and I'm curious, when you're in the thick of it, you don't really have time to stop and reflect. You hear guys talk about that all the time. Um, but now that you're a couple years removed from that, those championships, uh, 09, 10, I think 2017, uh, it's been a few years now. Do you ever sit back and just kind of put your feet up and say, holy hell, that was awesome? Yeah, you know what? We had a pretty good run there, you know. Um, I've had some great coaches with me, obviously my partner, Bob Boogner, who uh, coaches the Sharks now, and DJ uh, Smith, and um, he's coaching the Ottawa Centers. We had some good coaches, Trevor Lukowski, Rocky Thompson, who uh, won our third Memorial Cup. So we we always brought in good people. But, yeah, I was really proud of that. I look back at sometimes and obviously have the team pictures uh, to remind me of that. But I'd like to win a fourth if, if the <laughs> opportunity ever presents itself. And that would be, lo and behold, uh, pretty good. But to have three Memorial Cups in the stretch of nine years is outstanding, uh, even after uh, – some of the stuff the team went through um, is, is really good. And, I mean, I share that with all the players, and it makes me feel good that guys went on to the NHL. It also makes me feel good that guys went on to school and got degrees. And uh, I even have a doctor that graduated from one of those teams. Uh, so wow. it's all good in every way. And when you get in, you get a kid at, you know, 17 years old to 16 years old in some cases, um, you know, you feel really good about moving the boy on into the NHL. And uh, when you drafted a kid at a young age, the family really trusts you, you know. Mm-hmm. It's different. It's not like college. You're a lot older when you go away. Um, but they come in and you got to play good homes for them. There's so, much, so many moving parts to having a successful franchise, but, uh, you know, including a new arena, which we got. And, uh, it's really it's really good. It makes me proud, yeah. So, but uh, that's in the past. You know, I want to move on to my next chapter and uh, – Hopefully, uh, you know, get back to work for an NHL club. I like to say, you know, obviously being the best league in the world. 
and uh, that's what I'm striving for now. But uh, certainly great looking back on all that and all the players we had and all the good times and all the uh, little side cars and all the suspensions and everything like that. So it's pretty wild. Uh, it's a neat, it's a hard, hard league to win it. Terry Hawk is especially tough, and uh, there's very good managers and very good. Uh, very good people, very good players. So you have to draft well, you have to train well, you have to hire good people and put good people around you to be successful. Uh, much like any other business uh, that actually run to be successful. Warren, you touched on something about the players I want to follow up with. And you mentioned how different it is now. How much more pressure are on these kids when they step from the O to the NHL these days than when you started? Well, I mean, I think uh, there's one thing there. Yeah, they certainly have pressure, but um, I got to say, like, you know, coming up when I was in the, in the, in the minors or coming up in junior, there wasn't, you know, all the summer camps, you know, they have and uh, you know, the personal coaching, the skating coach, uh, all this. They have a, quite a bit of help. And uh, it, it's different also when you come to training camp and you're a young kid, you really get looked after, you know, other guys help you. I mean, I went to training camp, nobody even talked to you. Nobody wanted to be your friend. No one, they were there thinking you're going to steal a job. Well, whereas a kid gets drafted, for example, by the other teams, he comes into a summer camp, then he comes back to the mini camp, and then, you know, Mike Donnelly or Nelson Emerson goes and bids them and goes on the ice with them. And, uh, you know, it's pretty good. They know what to expect when they get there. Plus, players are coming in earlier because they're better and. Obviously, uh, you know, their, their 900 grand doesn't count against the salary cap like the big boys. So younger players are going quicker, but that's, it's changed, it's changed, changed big time. And, uh, you know, it's just the way it is now. Ooh, it's a harsh world back then, rough training camps back in the day. You know, there was no two hour rule guys were on the ice for four hours a day. It was crazy, but now it's all good. And I mean, there really isn't that much, uh, in the way of fighting or, uh, anything like that. So these kids, they're so used to playing at high profile when they're young, then they get trained and then they get, now I don't want to use the word spoon fed, but they get really brought into the role, you know, and uh, early and, you know, there's pressure on them to perform for sure when they get a job, like any other job, like any other player in the NHL, but it's a lot easier path to, to the NHL now um, than, than it was back then for sure. Well, players don't get spoon-fed by you, Warren. You're one of those guys who teaches them about the reality of playing professional hockey. And, uh, you know, for those that don't know, you traded your own son for crying out loud. So, you know, you're, you're able to separate yourself. <laughs> that still is amazing to me. But uh, you separate yourself from, you know, uh, the, the dad role in that particular sense and put on your hockey management hat, and that's great. And you traded, heck, right here in Los Angeles, you traded Gabe Velarde there at the end. It was wonderful. Gabe was able to go home and finish out his junior career there. But, you know, you drafted him second overall at the 2015 OHL draft. What made Gabe so special when you uh, were going through that process and wanting to draft him? Oh, man, I'll tell you, he was great. I think, you know, the first day I went to watch him, um, you know, the, first, the biggest thing is what he does when he gets the puck. I mean, um, skating's average, as everyone knows there. They don't have to, uh, you don't have to be a rocket science to see that compared to other players. But um, skating's average. When he gets the puck, he's very, very good. And uh, that was what I saw when he was there. Plus, he had size. Plus, he was right-handed. There were so many things. But uh, when I got to know Gabe, the person, he was really shy at first. Obviously, you go visit the family before you select him. Um, you know, we went into his family. And I think my mom, his mom and uh, father, really, I really hit it off with them right away. Gabe was kind of a quieter kid. Mm -hmm. um, so he got to, say, 18 years old. He really came out of his shell, and uh, he was an outstanding player. But that was the biggest thing, I think. Just the strength on the puck and all the little intangibles in the hockey sense is four and a half, probably out of five, very, very high, and uh, just a great kid. He, he, he wants to be born to be a hockey player, and he is. But uh, going to him, I'm really he really was in trouble there with his back. And, uh, you know, I don't think the fans are even seeing close. Wait till he gets going. He gets a half a season under his belt. You're going to see Gabe Valerie play very, very well. He missed a lot of hockey um, for you guys here the last couple of years and uh, with his injury, but wait till you see him when he hits the stride. He's going to be uh, a force to reckon with in the NHL for a long time. He's a great player, great kid, comes from a great family, so 
I'm proud of him. But uh, yeah, he was up really the first game I came in and uh, watched him play. He just uh, he just uh, blew my socks off. He he was outstanding, and we tracked him from there, and it, it really worked out for uh, for us with the Spitfires. And so happy to see him that he's healthy now, playing for the LA Kings. And, you know, Warren, I've always appreciated your your scouting reports, so let's just stick with some guys that are trying to break into the National Hockey League uh, that, that did come through the OHL and you might have a little bit of a, a book on or have some notes on. Um, how about Akil Thomas? Oh, good player. Um, got better all the time. I think, uh, obviously, his coming out party was, uh, you know, with, the, with, with Niagara. He's got a lot of ice time. Uh, real good. Real good grinder, too. Um, Two-way. Um, for Akil, I think he needs a little more consistency in his game. Mm-hmm. Um, that was his knock coming out of out of midget. He's got to be consistent. He's got to be good. And uh, I think he's going to have to. You know, obviously, he might need some time in, uh, in the American Hockey League. But uh, it is what it is. But very good player. Uh, hard to knock off the puck. And, uh, you know, he was a very good player in the entire Hockey League. And how about the two big boys? Uh, right now, there's a lot of talk in Los Angeles. Arthur Kaliev, uh, why would you start with him? Any, any any Warren Reichel notes on Arthur Kaliev? Well, he played in Detroit, so I was close. I was in Windsor, so he played minor hockey in Detroit. And a uh, heavy-footed guy. So, for me, I don't want to I don't want to say it. Uh, he's a one-trick pony. Um, basically, he's not fast. You can score. You can shoot it. He's got an array of shots. Um, he's very, very good on the power play. Um, from both sides, he can really shoot it. Um, he's got to work on his speed for sure. That's the biggest issue with him. You just got to get to those first few steps. Uh, but he's obviously going to need some some time too. But um, he can really fire. That's his uh, that's his A trait is shooting the puck. And he understands the offense of the game. Um, he has to play with good players. He can't be a guy that plays on the fourth line. So. Uh, he's no good to any team on the third or fourth line. Um, he has to work on his defense as well. But uh, he can score goals. And, you know, every goal, every game in the NHL is basically a one-goal game. You look at it, and goals are, goals are at a premium, and this kid can score. He's got to pick up the pace a little bit and uh, play a little, play a more 200-foot game uh, if he wants to be a real good player in the NHL. When you saw him, or did you happen to watch him at the World Juniors? And if you did, I'm just curious. Did you see a better version of him than maybe what you saw a couple of years ago? Everybody knows he can score goals, you know, in the OHL. He, he was lighting the league up. But did you happen to see a, a better version of him? Or no, it was the same old Arthur Kelly. I just no, I didn't. Wearing... I, I not really. I just saw him in the OHL just okay. put up numbers and score. He wasn't. He's the exact same player he was two years ago. Okay. Um, he just puts shit away. It's crazy. He, you know, um, he's. You know, he just finds the back of the net. He's got that lucky puck luck with him, too. Sometimes he gets off a guy, he shouldn't pat it, lands right in the stick, he shoots it quick. You know, he's got a little bit of Luke Robitaille luck in him. Lucky, always had that puck luck when uh, when he was around the net and a very good tipper. But Kaliev's a pure shooter. And uh, I, I saw him, you know, I was on the bench in Barry last year, and I saw him, uh, you know, I think he scored seven, six against me. So you can tell. <laughs> I saw it right up close. He's very lucky. <laughs> yeah, I was looking for quarters there when he was uh, scoring. You know, I saw him. He actually did that lacrosse move. I'm sure, you guys have seen it a hundred times. Yep, that was my team. He did a lacrosse move around the net. <laughs> yes, and uh, he, he put it in. That was against Barry Colt. So, uh, you know, he did score. He scored a lot in front of me. That's for sure. Good player. Well, two more to wrap it up, and we appreciate your time, Warren. Thank you for uh, coming out from from the back nine to uh, to join us here today. We appreciate it. Uh, two more to wrap up. Uh, Quinton Byfield, uh, obviously, uh, you know, a big story or a big headline uh, here in Los Angeles, being taken second overall. Um, any scouting notes from from your days there uh, in Ontario and what you saw? Real powerful two way center um, for bigger guys. Just takes a little longer. That's all. And uh, uh, real good player. He just got to get some reps under his belt, a uh, huge man, uh, really good, comes from a really good family too. I'm, I'm good friends with his agent, Jeff Jackson, and he's got to play a little more. Every, you know, every kid wants to get to the NHL. Some guys take a different path and it might be just a little, for him, he needs a little time and uh, he's going to be fine. He's a huge player. He's going to be a great player in the NHL for a long time. 
Yeah, people in Los Angeles are going to need to be a little bit patient. They all want to see him playing in the lineup right now, but uh, that's just not in the cards, and that's okay. He'll he'll cut his teeth in the American League yeah. for now, and then uh, we'll see where things go. Okay, last question. I've avoided the enforcer topic up until now because I, I think of you as so much more than that, but here in Los Angeles, you, you were just one of the most popular players there in the early to mid-'90s uh, when you dropped the gloves. So how about this one to go out the door today? People loved it when you dropped the gloves. Who's the one guy that you wish you could square off with just one final time? Oh, geez. The one a guy could fight? Well, I don't want to say a big guy because big guys were tough because I wasn't that. I don't know. The last one guy that I really want, really would, eh? I don't know. I don't know. I tried to always get, you know, I, I was in the days of Colorado. I always tried to get Kirk Malty because he was, you know, a dirty player. I could never get to him, even in the brawls we had. With I could never get to him. So I'd probably say him. I know he's a nice guy. He's uh, was just the guy that played so hard, got under your skin, mm-hmm. and uh, that was probably the that probably be, be my answer. But uh, I heard he's a great guy. I met him once or twice. Probably a great guy with a great family. I know he works for uh, the Red Wings now, but uh, that would be my honest answer. No offense to him. <laughs> That's just the way he played. He got. Uh, I'm sure a lot of guys will want to line up and get me too. So <laughs> it's okay. Just a real honest answer. He's probably a great guy. Well, I appreciate the honesty. It was uh, outstanding to have you on here. Thank you so much for your time. Look forward to uh, wh- wherever the road takes you. Look forward to talking to you again down the road, and uh, hopefully you'll be uh, hooked on with another NHL team, and we can chat some more. John Dennis, take care. Have a great night. There you go. Warren Reichel. We'll be back after the break to talk more about that. I feel you crumbling my arms down to your heart of stone. You bled me dry just like the tears. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Okay, third period. Let's rock and roll. Dennis Bernstein, what do you think there? Uh, Warren Reichel, huh? Get him back in the game. The Duke and Scout for sure. <laughs> One trick pony, though, John. One well, trick pony. Ooh. Uh, he brought the truth. <laughs> That's, you know, I, I have to tell you, I have always enjoyed my conversations with Warren Reichel, and he's been a, a long time, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say friend. Friend to me is somebody maybe that you sit down and have a meal with, uh, and I haven't had a meal with Warren Reichel, but he's been very friendly to me through the years, uh, and over the last 10 years or so, he's made a number of appearances on Mayor's Manor and done a lot of scouting, or offered up, I should say, a lot of scouting reports on players in the Ontario Hockey League as we've put together prospect rankings or just asked for different people's opinions on things, and uh, I've always appreciated what i feel is is brutal honesty from warren right transparent for sure no sugarcoating yeah uh, DB, before we move on here, very quick note. Uh, and again, thank you to Warren Reichel for jumping on the program today. It was it was a pleasure to hear that. Hopefully you guys as the listeners enjoyed that. And uh, as a reminder, support for Kings of the Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. They're the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. And some big news here, DB. Manscaped just released their new cologne scent to help you feel good and smell good all over and at all times. So who knew smelling this good could feel this good too? Manscaped, as we told you about a couple programs ago, is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. So join the movement for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. And if you're an avid KOTP listener, you already know about their great products like the Perfect Package 3.0, which, of course, Dennis, comes with what? Uh, The... uh LED light. That's right. The famous LED light. Uh, patent pending. Uh, trademark is already approved by Dennis. Uh, but now, using the same signature scent that is in all the Manscaped formulas, this cologne is a perfect complement to the collection. It's light, approachable, gentlemanly in all the right ways. Uh, and think of it as your wingman for the night to keep you fresh and ready for anything. It is calming and inviting, has a light citrus burst and the anchoring notes of uh, a woodsy masculine finish. So there you go. Uh, now you can you know- use... You can. What's that, DB? You know, Jay, um, I, I received the cologne at the house. You did. And since I know so little about it, asked the missus about it, mm-hmm. and it's PJ approved. <laughs> she said, that smells very nice. Well, there you go. So I can say with 100% assurity that you should absolutely go out and get this cologne. Um, your wife, your significant other will certainly love it. 
And DB, how about that bottle? That is a significant yes. bottle that it comes in. It, it is very heavy. It is not your normal uh, cologne bottle. It's 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 pretty cool. Yep, John, their packaging and their branding yeah. is amazing. It, it, it really like, is. All the stuff that we've got is, is just, the presentation is just great. It, when when you get a package delivered to your house, when the box comes from UPS or whatever, whoever delivers it, you're just excited. If you've received a Manscaped product before, you're excited to open up the package because like you said, DB, you know that what's inside, it's just going to be this great presentation. I can't wait to see yeah, to see what's in there. So uh, check it out, folks. Manscaped, uh, their new refined cologne. You can get it to complete your set. Smell great anytime, anywhere. Feel sexy, baby. Take 2021 by storm. Uh, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code KOTPNEW. That's K-O-T-P-N-E-W at manscaped.com. You get 20% off and free shipping with the code KOTPNEW. Look good, smell good, feel good with Manscaped. And uh, we just ask you to support them because, heck, they support your favorite podcast, our show right here. So there you go, Manscaped and Kings of the Podcast. Dennis Bernstein, uh, we made reference to it earlier today in the uh, first period, and um, we now have breaking news that uh, we have the line combinations that uh, Coach Todd McClellan was going with it for, uh, potentially, I should say, for Game 4, but this was at the, the practice today in advance of Game 4, the rematch with the Colorado Avalanche. And uh, on the top line, a little bit of a new look. Uh, I'm going to read all the lines to you, then we'll talk about them individually. So you had Adrian Kempe today skating with Kopitar and Ayafalo, uh, so Trevor Moore was not long for the top line. And then you had double A with Lazat and Carter, which I have long said long the last couple of weeks have said I would not break that lineup. It's working. Um, and then you had uh, today you had Leas Anderson skating with Velarde and Brown. We'll get to that in a moment. And then you had Wagner, Amadio and Moore. And the extra players were Grunstrom and Jod. Uh, there was some weird roster shuffling that happened later in the day with Leas Anderson being moved to the uh, to the taxi squad. And of course, Luff and Ferk are still not available. They might be out for a while. But uh, let's start back at the top line, DB. Adrian Kempe up with Kopitar and Ayafalo. Reaction. Um, a little bit more speed and jump on that line. Mm -hmm. That's what I would assume. Uh, Kempe, after I tweeted and, and banged on Kempe saying that <laughs> Anthony Seo should replace him on the power play, he scored a power play goal like a minute later, which is good. We'll see, John. Obviously, there's something going on uh, with the coach and Brown, why Brown would be demoted there. I, I, you didn't like their play last night. So, hey, game three, I'm willing to, you know, game four, I'm willing to experiment. Let's, let's, let's see what happens. If mm -hmm. it gets uh, Kopitar going, although he's got four points in three games, um, I'm not going crazy. I don't think you're going crazy over it too. Yeah, I don't mind different looks. Let's see how it works against Colorado. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, on the defensive side of things, uh, well, by the way, uh, McClellan did talk about Velarde at, with Brown and, and how he kind of liked that combination, and and I, and I would be okay with that. I'll, I will tell you, uh, I'm not thrilled at the idea of Adrian Kempe up with Kopitar and Ayafalo. You're right. I didn't I necessarily like the idea of 1911 and 23, you know, much much longer. Uh, it, it's run its course. I'm ready to try, you know, see something new. Uh, but Adrian Kempe is not necessarily the answer for me. Um, well, but, but I John, like the trade-off, though. Think you're I think you're done with I follow up. There. <laughs> I am. Okay. I, I, I am. Okay. I am. Um, okay. But you know what, though? I'm warming up to the idea of Kopitar not being with Brown either because, and I don't necessarily view it as a demotion per se because to me, the the, the Velarde line, and Todd has said it, he's, he's hinted at it, he just won't come out and say it, that the Velarde line is really on its way to becoming the second line. So while on paper it looks like it's the third line, he even, he even alluded to it again today, basically saying that Kopitar was the top line and then Lazat or the Velarde line was the second line. So if you yeah. put Brown with Velarde and if you give him somebody else on that other wing, um, you know, that, that, that can work. And we talked about this a couple of shows ago as well of, of trying to find a way to get the the uh, the lines to to replicate some of the stuff that they've done in the past. And the idea of maybe even Brown with Lazat and Carter, um, that could work or I thought it could have worked. Yeah. But now that line has just been working so well. Double A's fit in there. So you don't mess with the second line. Uh, not a big fan of the fourth line. You know, the Wagner, Amadio, Moore thing. Um, I, I'd like to see more from Grundstrom. And I would like to see Jod get in a game or two there as well. But uh, look, Agreed. I think... 
I, I think, agree with you. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Well, uh, DB, you need to come up with uh, some sort of a moniker or whatever, because, you know, we have, and we've had it for years, we have Mayor's Manor Magic, where when somebody comes on and, you know, they do an interview with me or they come on the podcast or whatever, <laughs> and they go out and have a great game. Yours is like the reverse thing. Like if you bang on them like you did on Kempe, and then they will respond. So you need to, I don't know what that is. reverse jinx. <laughs> there you go. The reverse jinx. Okay. Well, it doesn't have the same ring to it, but I'll, I'll let you no, go. I'll let you work on it. It doesn't Talk. flow. No, no, talk to the folks at uh, Manscaped. They can help you come up with some better packaging of your of your reverse jinx. Um, I think that where things are perhaps equally as interesting, I won't say more interesting, equally as interesting, is on the defensive side of things. Um, but it just isn't quite enough for me. Uh, that's great. It looks like Kale Clegg is going to get back in there. Todd talked him up today. Uh, there's a great article on mayorsmanor.com about Clegg and why it's important to get him playing time. He's the only one of the top 15 Kings prospects uh, who is not exempt from the uh, from the expansion draft. So they have to make a decision on him at the end of the year before the July draft, which means you're going to want to get Clegg some playing time. Fine, he's going to possibly, most likely, get into the game, uh, game four against Colorado on the third pairing with Sean Walker. That's cool. Where I'm going with all this, though, is that it looks like the Mata-Dowdy thing is going to continue for at least another game or two. Patience, John. You always tell me I got to have patience. I'm telling you to have patience with that pairing. <laughs> okay. All right. You can you can rec- you can uh, save all of these recordings where I'm suggesting that they you break up you break up the uh, the Hall of Fame pairing of Mata and Dowdy. Uh, and, and if in ten games from now uh, this is egg on my face, you you can surely replay all the clips at the top of the podcast. But uh, you know, hey, John, it's just not Mata. <laughs> That's the problem. Well, let me tell you something. Dennis, I am, I am, uh, I, I'm, re- I'm reluctant to admit this to you, but uh, I'm, I'm going to come out and say it right now. I hope you're sitting down. I am, I am starting to have some concerns with the play of Drew Doughty. Fair. Some, some breaking news there. Um, yeah, that's big time breaking news. Uh, it's uh, my house just shook. <laughs> it's. It's just starting to concern me. You, you, you watch him on the power play. You watch some of the passes that are taking place. Uh, I, I, I wanted to believe. I wanted to buy in to what Drew was saying at the beginning of camp, right? Uh, his explanations, right? If, you know, he has a chip on his shoulder now because all of the experts that say that he wasn't going to make Team Canada and that's pissed him off and he's, he's ready to prove them all wrong. I, I love when guys have that sort of inner desire and that burn to prove somebody wrong. That's, that's a powerful motivator in many cases. And then he applied logic. We know, he, we know that Dowdy has a high hockey IQ, but then he went on regular everyday IQ level and, and explained with intelligence and very, in a very articulate way, the challenges yeah, yeah. that he's had of carrying or breaking guys in through the years and Derek Forbert and Jake Muzzin and so on. And he, he hearkened back to playing with a true veteran, like a Rob Scuderi and how that improved his game. And he said, that's what he thought Oli Mata was going to bring to the table. So uh, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You're right. It's only been three games. Relax, chill. I understand. I am not the, uh, the cheerleader for hockey Twitter who is, you know, uh, saying trade the entire LA Kings organization. But I do have to admit, I am having some concerns with what I've seen from Double D early on. You have to, because this was a guy who in training camp made the commitment. So you expect, John, with as eloquent as he was, from game one, he's going to be playing 28 minutes a night. He's not going to make any mistakes. He's going to be a force offensively. And... He's putting in the time, John, mm-hmm. and that's the one issue I've got is that you're playing through 27, 28 minutes a night. You're playing Kopi 21, 22 minutes a night. Are these going to be guys going to be spent by the time the game to game 20? But yeah, it, it's it's not happening, and maybe it's an adjustment to getting to playing with Mata, who is really you know probably a four, five, six in this league, or maybe a five, six. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it you know what, John, John Carlson and Roman Yossi and uh, Victor Hedman don't have these adjustment issues. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between what the level of Jew is now and where those elite players are right now. So you, you, and I know how staunch you are with respect to, you know, supporting Drew over the years, but yeah, it, it's time. He's, he's got to shift the paradigm with respect to his play like now. Well, I also want to say this, I'm, and you know, I love to connect the dots. So I'm going to stitch a couple of things together here. Sure. If I was to just mention how Dowdy seemed to be playing really well with Bjornfoot in camp, what 18 months ago now at this point 
some people might say, well, that was training camp. Those are exhibition games. It's not the same thing, right? Uh, okay, well, hold on, because uh, Todd today was basically saying, look, that we just completed uh, three games of exhibition. We, you know, we should be preparing for game four. This is Todd talking. Right. We should be preparing for game four of the exhibition season. I think he actually said it to you, Dennis, uh, on, on the did. Zoom call today. So the point here is, if, if we're four games into the exhibition season, then to me it's somewhat comparable to what, how he was playing with Bjorn Foot, And that pair seemed to click almost right away. And it's not clicking right away with Ole Mata after he told us Drew, that is, told us that this should be an, you know, uh, like like a glove and a hand, uh, you know, we're putting on an old shoe because, you know. A London connection. Oh, yeah, yeah, on and on. I mean, the bromance. I wrote the article. It's it's just, you know, it's, it's a love fest. It's amazing. Um, I'm not seeing it so far. So, again, I will, I'm just giving my early impressions. Let's see how it unfolds. Uh, but I really, I really would like to get Bjornfoot with Dowdy. And the problem is it, it probably that type of uh, a pairing comes at the, at the, at the cost of Clegg getting minutes because right. that would then slide as we spoke about, right. that would slide Mata down into play with Walker. So um, I don't know. Todd has his hands full on the defensive side of things. Uh, this is a team that hasn't won a game yet. They're going into game four. Uh, you know, they need some wins here before they head out or a win, I should say, before they head out on the road, Dennis. Absolutely, John. Tomorrow's an important game. I mean, not vital, but yeah, I agree. Like, I think, John, I think that pairing, like, let them get on the road. Um, let them play two teams who, while they're solid, they're not, they're not powerhouse offensive teams. St. Louis and Minnesota are not powerhouse offensive teams. That pair should be really effective against both those teams. We'll find out. Okay, DB. Uh, two, a uh, couple of quick announcements before we wrap up here today. Uh, thank you to all the listeners for for sticking around and 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 listening to us uh, ramble on about the the Kings three games uh, into their fifty six game season. And of course, thanks to Warren Reichel as well for for uh, his input and his insight. Uh, do want to let everybody know if you haven't already checked it out. The first goal contest has returned to Mayor's Manor this year, and thanks to the folks over at Violent Gentlemen, they have stepped up to sponsor. So uh, every day around noon, every game day, I should say around noon, an article will go up on Mayor's Manor. You have to fill out the entry form uh, in order to win, guys. So, uh, you know, replying on Twitter. Yeah, you got to fill out that form, Jay. It's not that don't difficult. Don't John. <laughs> it's, like, follow instructions. It's not that hard. Just fill out the form. Thank you, Dennis. Um, that's what the tweet should just say. From now on, it should just say, fill out the form, and there should be a link, and that's just it. I don't even need to explain anything else, but... Please enter the contest. You could win something. It's cool. Everyone wins. It's great. Uh, the other thing I just wanted to mention is uh, DB. Uh, people can mark their calendars. We will be back. The next Kings of the Podcast is coming up on Friday, and we're going to have one of the best power forwards of the past 25 years, in my opinion. Shane Doan is going to join the program. Uh, we're going to break down game four uh, against the Kings and the Avalanche. We're also going to look ahead to the Kings road trip. So there's a lot to pack in there. And uh, as the Kings head out on the road, they're going to see old friend Kyle Clifford Here's a quick clip from uh, Drew Doughty talking about what he expects when they uh, when they face off against the Blues and Kyle Clifford. Uh, we've already faced him once, and I got him pretty good there. So I'm just going to try to do the same thing. I'm pretty sure he's going to be coming after me. He's told me that already. So uh, it's always fun playing Cliffy. Obviously, you miss him a little bit here in L.A. Uh, for, for multiple different reasons. Um, but... Uh, you know, he, he's done a great job, and uh, he's going to be a big impact, I think, for the Blues. So there you go. That's uh, Dowdy looking forward to the road trip, uh, you know, reacquainting himself with Kyle Clifford. But uh, before that, game four first, close out this two-game set. Kings, Avalanche, that's coming up, and uh, we'll talk to all of you guys on Friday. Have a great week, everybody.
This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers and 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection Bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply.